Good afternoon, brethren. Very good to see so many of you here. It's a wonderful crowd we have and one of the biggest we've had here in the area. So thank all of you for coming and thank you, brethren, especially who've come from way off places. It's really good to have such a wonderful crowd here and I deeply appreciate the fellowship that we've all been having and I want to hope I can meet a lot more of your newer brethren afterward and get to visit with some of you. I really enjoyed the sermonette. Dr. Scott Winnell always brings us something special, and it was very helpful. And I really especially enjoyed the choir. It seemed like they did better. You know, they get these old, old favorites. I sang that song back in Ambassador College in the chorale, and uh, we, we have sung that Onward Ye Peoples, you know, for a long, long time. But they did a very good job of it. And after some of us sang in the choir and some of us were singing solos, uh, in front of Mr. Herbert Armstrong with the following Sabbath, or maybe it was a, a, an assembly. Some of us were actually singing solos of this recital. And Mr. Armstrong was, some of the fellows were singing here the other day, and he said, sound like a bunch of old bullfrogs to me. And uh, I thought, uh-oh, that means me. <laughs> so uh, anyway, some of us could sing, and some of us could sing a little bit less uh, effectively. But we have a bunch of good singers here and very grateful for it. I do appreciate the blessings that God is giving us. Most of you know that, as Mr. Dr. Scott indicated, so many of the other groups are coming apart in various ways, and God has blessed us with a great deal of unity. We don't have perfect unity, and I don't think we ever will until we're made spirit in God's kingdom. We know that, but we're grateful for it, and we've been going now in the global living church of God for 18 years. And I don't want to talk about this every Sabbath, but I think once a year it's not wrong to do that, to be thankful, because that doesn't make us any better, but we are grateful. Uh, we started the Global Church of God uh, back in uh, 1992. It was 18 years ago tomorrow. And the first unofficial meeting was in my living room, and I sat just like this at the head of the dining table, and then we had people around the dining table, and then a bunch of other people sitting in chairs around in the living room and so on. So there were 19 people there uh, on that occasion, December 26, 1992. So 18 years ago tomorrow, that's where we began in that sense. Then, of course, the following Sabbath, about January the 2nd or 3rd, we had our first meeting down in a recreation hall uh, on the way to Los Angeles from Pasadena. And Mr. Don Davis had had this, he was uh, guiding, managing this great big condominium complex and let us use that. So that worked out very well, and we had 42 people. I wish we'd had 49. It would sound even better, but it was six times seven. Now, if we'd had just seven more, it would have been seven times seven. But anyway, uh, it was a nice number, and we're very grateful. And that very autumn, we had 3,000 people. I'm, I'm sorry, 1,500 people. So we grew from 19 to 42 to 3,000 at the feast. We had a feast in Del Mar, California, and one uh, back in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And then the following Feast of Tabernacles, we doubled, almost exactly doubled to 3,000 people. So we did grow a great deal during those first few years. But we are thankful for what God is doing. And most of you know, we are beginning to have a really significant impact. It's not big yet, but at least it's significant. When you think about what's just been happening, uh, we now 
of course, are growing in many different ways. I want to say this, though, before we go on with that. Well, I should comment on that. Maybe now we have the church growth attendance around the world and in the United States is up about 9%. We've told you most of that, but that's very good. About 9% up. The income has been running around 5%. Yesterday, I think it closed 4.9%, just under 5%. So we're very thankful for that, especially as we hear that so many other groups are actually in the negative because of the recession and they're losing members and we're growing. So we are very grateful and should be grateful to God for that growth we've been having. And I, I hope we can be thankful for those things. And now with the uh, better time we have on the Word Network, and now the Discovery Channel is carrying our program, and now coming, starting tomorrow, I think it is, we're going to begin, or maybe it's a week from tomorrow, on uh, God TV that reaches all around the world. And frankly, that won't bring a huge response as far as just responses that we can track, because so many of the cities and nations where we're broadcasting are third world nations and we can't have a a post office box or a call center that they can call in the same way we can here but we will be reaching lots and lots of people all over the world and i'm sure in time we'll be able to track it better so we're grateful for all those things that are happening and what christ is doing in this little work that began 18 years ago with 19 people and that's a, a really fine growth, and we're, we're, we're thankful to God for that. I want to digress. I started to a minute ago because Mr. League asked me to make the announcement. He thought it might be better. I'm digressed to a special announcement for all of our local members, but any of you other members from afar that are staying around, we had a hall up here in the Concord area that served well, but they had certain problems with it. The train coming by and shaking and the sound system would go off. I think one of the young women was going to play a week or so ago. It didn't even work. Lots of things were going wrong. And I decided a lot of people wanted to stay there. A lot of people wanted to come back to our hall. And then there were others who didn't care either way. But at least I decided that we would come back to our own hall for the next several weeks, probably several months. So for the first few weeks, we'll continue to meet together because we haven't been running way over recently. And so I want all of you local members to know next week, tell your friends, tell your friends so they don't go to the wrong place next week. And for the next several weeks, we will meet together in the church building, our own church building. And most all of you know where it is at 2 p.m., the normal time next week and the weeks following Mr. Rob McNair has already made out a schedule for the sermons. Well, that would be later, even a dual schedule for later. And as we decide, we may have to have morning and afternoon. But for the first few weeks, we can meet together and we can all pray. And I hope you will pray about this, too, that God will open up a, a, a bigger, better hall and a good location for us, if that's his will. And I think it will be. So pray about that. But we will be meeting back at our hall uh, next Sabbath, I'll repeat it so you don't get confused. Don't come here. Don't come to the Concord Hall. Come to our own church auditorium there uh, next Sabbath at 2 o'clock. Same time, same place. Okay, so you'll all know it. Spread the word. Well, brethren, I want to say something this afternoon, and I really mean it. I think it is good that we do this. We rejoice before God on a special occasion like this, and we can be genuinely thankful 
none of us are very much. We're a bunch of worms here crawling around. As King David said, I am but a worm. And some of us, I guess like Sir Winston Churchill said, I know we're all worm, but I do believe that I am a glow worm, he said. (laughs) And uh, so all of us could let off light and perhaps we can be glow worms in the right way. But nevertheless, God has created us in his image. God has made every one of us, man, woman, and child, in his image. And we have the same general form and shape of God as is revealed in the Bible. And nearly all of you know that without me giving a sermon on that. But we have the kind of mind that God has to a limited extent. We have understanding and God has opened our minds to know the true God and Jesus Christ, his son. So we know our creator and we have understanding of the purpose of life. We have creative imagination And they can have smart monkeys and smart dolphins and smart everyone else and kind of talk about it. But none of them have ever put rockets into outer space, you know, going around the moon and out toward Mars or anything else like that. We are made in God's image to be like God. And God is guiding us, teaching us lessons. And I want all of you to think of that during the sermon today. God is trying to teach us lessons And many of us do not learn the lessons as quickly or easily as we should, but he's working with every one of us to bring us to a depth of surrender to him, our creator, our father, to a depth of humility where we will really feed on this book and recognize that it is the mind of God in print and study it and drink in of it and feed on Christ in that way and begin to have the mind of Christ so that we can really be later on full members of the very family of God and the kingdom of God and the family of God throughout all eternity and share experiences and share activities and interact with God the Father and God the Son and interact with resurrected Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and Joseph and King David and Moses and all those great men and women and Ruth and Sarah and the great men and women down through time. So we can interact with them as very full members of the family of God. But God has to fashion us and mold us. And you young people are put here for a tremendous purpose. Later on, you can't begin to understand the opportunities you'll have to be the leaders in a whole different society. You'll be governors and you'll be mayors of cities and kings and priests over whole nations depending on how soon Christ comes and if you're already in the church and how those things work out. But you'll have leadership positions and God is working with you. He's working to fashion and mold your mind and teach you to be a leader, teach you to be a king, a priest, a governor, and to make right decisions. So God is working with every one of us in all those ways. But brethren, God has made us to be full members of his family. That's why he calls us sons. And that's why he is called our father. As Jesus said, when you get down to pray on your knees, you say our, not just my, me and God, like the Kaiser did, but our, our father who art in heaven. He's not the normal human father. He's the perfect father, the great father that gives us life and breath and all things. Our father And he's made us to be like him. That's his purpose. 
So in God's purpose, brethren, in God's purpose, young people, we are all winners. We are all winners. We are going to come out. I don't care what this world has in mind. They have all these big conferences and they're going to bring peace and they're going to do this and that and something else. And those of us who lived a long time, and I lived 80 years already, and I've watched the news an awful lot, frankly, ever since I was about 10 or 12 years old. And you say, did you start watching the news back then? Yes, I really did. And those who know me know I probably read news too much. I'm a news fiend, as my wife says sometimes, but I like the news. But somehow, just as I was turning 11 years old, and actually 10, actually, the Second World War began because Hitler attacked Poland in 1939. And I was still nine years old. And I began to read about these things. And hear Churchill's speeches coming, some of them over the shortwave and over the radio. And Franklin Delano Roosevelt declaring war uh, on on uh, Germany and on Japan, especially right after the Japanese attack. And he closed his message to the American Congress. And a lot of them hated his guts. And uh, this famous newspaper editor from uh, Emporia, Kansas, forget his name now, but he was well-known and liked and very famous, even though he was from a small paper. He said, we who hate your gaudy guts salute you (laughs) because he held the nation together and he aroused them. But he told them about what had happened yesterday, December 7th, 1941, at a date which will live in infamy. The forces of Imperial Japan attacked our forces in Hawaii And I regret to tell you that very many American lives were lost. And he went on to show what we were going to have to do. And he closed the speech. We shall gain the inevitable triumph. So help us God. And brethren, we shall gain the inevitable triumph if we walk with God. If we really mean it, if we don't play games. And you young people have come into an organization that is new and yet it is one of the oldest organizations on the earth because this organization is the Church of God. And the Church of God began way back as the Congregation of Israel, the church in the wilderness, as it's described in the King James Version in Acts chapter 7. And it carried right on down through ancient Israel until Christ came and started the New Testament church. And then Christ passed the torch on to Peter, James, and John, And the Apostle John outlived all the others. He passed the church to a man named Polycarp, who was the most outstanding full Christian leader. After him was Polycrates. And then you go around through the Dark Ages, as it's called, and you come to Peter Waldo, the Waldensians, and others among the Waldensians, and the Henricians, and the Albigensians. And they were not all people of God. Some were not. Some became Sunday keepers, but many were people of God. And you come on to the people over in Britain and you had quite a number of very dedicated men and women, hundreds of them over in Great Britain later on back in the 15, 16, 1700s. And you can read about that in church history. One of them was named John Trask and he carried on and preached the truth. But many of those men and women gave their lives and some of the men had their heads chopped off and put on a pike and shown around. Here's this bloody head of those who would keep the Sabbath. A lot of you young people grew up in the church. Well, dad and mother just believe in Saturday instead of Sunday. These men and women gave their very lives 
because they had come to recognize there was a creator God and this book was his inspired word and they were willing to obey God even if it meant getting their heads chopped off. We don't have that kind of attitude today. Very many of us, we take things for granted. All of us need to get more alert and revive ourselves because we are living at the end of an age and God is getting ready to send his son back as king of kings and lord of lords. The church of God came over from England through many different ones. One of the most well-known was a man named Stephen Mumford. And up in the area near Delaware and Rhode Island, he and a number of others began to keep the Sabbath and called themselves the Church of God, although sometimes others called them Seventh-day Baptists or others. But the Church of God term was the one they used the most. Then they spread across the United States. And you come along as you read about men like A.J. Long and Jacob Brinkerhoff. And then you come down to A.F. Duggar, who was out in Oregon. And then later a man, his son named A.N. Duggar, Andrew Duggar, who was the one in the Church of God preceding Mr. Herbert Armstrong. And I got to hear Mr. Duggar. I got to actually have lunch with his brother at the Hinyons' home up in Oregon. Very normal people. Farmer-type people, not as educated or sharp as Mr. Armstrong. They were the Sardis church, but you could see they were sincere. They did fear the God of the Bible. They had that concept of God, the God of the Bible, and kept God's Sabbath and tried to talk about the kingdom of God. Not off in heaven like the Adventists, but as Mr. Armstrong said, they had the true gospel. They preached the gospel of the kingdom or the coming government of God to be set up on this earth under Jesus Christ. And they were basically good men who carried on the church of God. Among them, as they became more confused, God raised up a man named Herbert W. Armstrong, who had had a great deal of advertising experience, was able to know how to reach people and grip them the way he spoke and the way he wrote, and he raised him up. And then he got the church of God going in this nation more powerfully that it had ever been in our national history. And we got up, as you know, worldwide at least, to about 150,000 people at the, at the peak through Mr. Armstrong and the work Christ did through him. Many of us came along with him in those early years of the college and helped build the work. And I don't want to brag about that because I didn't do near as much as Mr. Armstrong or perhaps as much as others, but I had the privilege of being early on and I'm the only one left from that time. The only one that's still left that was working with Mr. Armstrong building the work. Back in 1952, you older brethren, some of you have those old editions of the Good News magazine, which was the only one published for a while. And Dr. Herman Hay and I were the editors. And my first article was College Life and Ambassador. I think it was about April 1951. So I've been writing articles since 1951 in the magazines. And after we'd written for a year or two, Mr. Armstrong thought we had developed enough that he could begin to call it the plain truth and let us get out the plain truth magazine as well. Mr. Armstrong was not a lazy man. He worked very hard. He was a dynamo. But he could not do everything. No one can do everything. And so he did have us younger men helping him get out the magazine regularly for the first time in history. They did get out every month. And later we shortened it to 10 years, 10 uh, issues in a year. And now, all these years later, we and most of the other groups only have six issues. 
But back then, I don't know how we did it, but it wasn't as pretty and it wasn't quite as big, but we did get it out 12 times a year. Both magazines, The Plain Truth and The Good News magazine. So we began to have the growth in the church of God and got up to 150,000 people. And I say that to you, brethren, because I might not live but another year or five or ten. I don't know, like God knows, but I want you to know, I think it can help you and help you younger people to know that some of us are around who saw this work growing from 1946-7-8 along, and I came in 49, and we have been around for a while and seen while Christ used Mr. Armstrong and saw the church of God and met some of the older men and women in that church. We are a continuation of the historical church of God. And frankly, we're the main one. And I hope you young people will think about that. There are other groups that talk about Mr. Armstrong. Some people worship him, you know, and say, have you read this passage in in the Mystery of the Ages? And they treat it like a New Testament. It's not a New Testament. It has a number of errors in it, which Mr. Armstrong talked about. And I don't want to go into that, but it wasn't, it wasn't like the New Testament, nor did he claim that at all. Others go to the other extreme and they hardly ever mention Mr. Armstrong's name. We're trying to chart a middle course to honor what God did through this man who was a human and honor that but carry on his work. And I hope all of you will look into that if you have any doubts. I was there and until Mr. Apartian died, I was so grateful to have him because he could often verify things that were happening back then. He saw it, he heard it, but now he's gone and we're sorry. Mr. Richard said the is, is gone, and we're very sorry about that. Richard was one of my students and one of my friends, and he married my first secretary, Elva Russell, and she is still alive out there. And in fact, my son Jim called the other day, and I talked to him, and he was helping her pick out a grave plot. It's kind of strange. They really felt very close to Mr. Armstrong because they were both back in the earlier days. And Elva had wanted a grave plot near Mr. Armstrong's. But how do you get a grave plot near Mr. Armstrong's? They were all taken. But when they got out there and Jim was helping them, the funeral director said, well, it's unusual. He said, just in the last year or two, we found all these old uh, walkways around they'd been there over a hundred years were, were rotting and coming apart so we took them up and that cleared the way for a few more graves some of them right next to Mr. Armstrong so Richard said the optic is going to be buried right next to Mr. Armstrong and as the last Trump sounds he'll come up say howdy boss <laughs> howdy boss good to see you again <laughs> that's really touchy I'm sure Elva's very touched by that that her husband and she is going to be buried right there as well. So they can be buried right next to Mr. Armstrong. But you younger people may say, well, you're all dying. No, we're not all dying. A lot of us are younger. Many of our younger ministers like Scott Winnell and, and Mr. Rod McNair and others I just happen to see right here and others better not keep going. I'll leave someone out. But we have all kinds of younger ministers coming along. This work will continue we're not the work of Rod Meredith or Richard Ames. We're the work of the living God. 
Christ is really is the head of this church. And we don't say, well, we believe in Christ's leadership and then go off and have voting and politicking and backstabbing. You know that. You've been around a while. We don't have that. That's one reason we have the unity that we have. We do try to recognize where Christ is working. And if God has used a man, and most of you feel that God has used me because I've been doing this for 18 years and the only one of the original evangelists, so you're willing to follow me as I follow Christ. And I don't follow him perfectly. And he'll sure remind me of that in the resurrection, I'm sure. No one ever followed Christ perfectly, but we try to. I know Mr. Ames does very much as well. And we try to follow Christ, and overall we are, but we don't say we believe in Christ's government, and yet we go off and have politics and voting and different committees and backstabbing and positioning and all the stuff that goes on and so many of these other groups that are having these problems. We do believe that Christ is alive. And if you see a dedicated man, and if I die, just get your mind around this. If you see a dedicated man, not perfect, there isn't any perfect man around, but a dedicated man who really does teach the full truth and want to do the work of preaching the good news of the coming government of God based on God's laws all over this world, like Christ tells us to go unto all the nations, and who also believes in the government of God that Christ is in charge and the government structures by appointment. And that's the one of the leaders of another group came over here the other day and we had lunch. And he was talking about, well, Christ led them to have this other form of government. And Miss Dr. Winnell Sr. kind of corrected him. He says, well, that's we don't believe that. That's not exactly right. And I chimed in, as Mr. Ames remembers, said, well, George, his name is not George, but I said, I'll give anyone a thousand dollars and I'll give any of you brethren a thousand dollars of my own money. I won't want to be the works money. So Mr. Crockett can get me if I take the works money. <laughs> I'll give you a thousand dollars. I mean it of my own money. If any of you could show me one place in the Bible where God instructed the people to vote for their leader, you can't find it. One of these groups tried to say, well, the deacons, you know. No, those six deacons in Acts chapter 6, the apostles said, you choose you out men. The apostles took the initiative. You choose you out men with these uh, abilities, these qualifications, and then we will decide among those men and we will choose seven, which they did. Just like we would do, we would say if we come into church area or start well, what some talk to some of the leading ministers who are your leaders and who's done the most and kind of keep in touch with the congregation to see who should be a deacon. That's not wrong. That's multitude of counsel. But that's not government from the bottom up. God has government from the top down, from one end of the Bible to the other, and there's not one single solitary exception in the Bible ever, ever, ever. And if you find one, you show me. And my wife will worry, I'll take all our grocery money. <laughs> but he'll give you a check for $1,000. It's not there. It's not there. The government of God is the other way. So let's understand that all of us are being worked with by God in the historical church of God that is carrying on the work that Christ began through Herbert and Loma Armstrong and our age more fully and more correctly than anywhere else on earth. It really is done that way. And I think you know that. And God is going to produce winners among us. 
So the great God has guided his church down through the age through these men like Jacob Brinkerhoff and A.N. Duggar and Mr. Herbert Armstrong and now down to us. And so we've been carrying on that work for 18 years and we want to continue carrying it on. But brethren and young people, we are living in a very exciting time. And I think, I guess Mr. Ames read a little bit of my, my uh, announcement in the, in the update and I mentioned that term there. But we really are, and we need to realize that we're living into some of the most exciting yet traumatic times in human history, and it should make us excited in the right way, and I hope that it does. We have had sad things come upon us with the death of Mr. Apartian and Mr. Uh, Sedyachik, but brethren, I hope you all understand in context, as I said, if I should die, God has already given me 20 years. I mean, 10 years beyond the three score and 10. And he gave Mr. Partian 24 years. He was 94 years old, 24 years older than King David was when he died old and full of days. So whenever they set me up and Monica or the other ladies put my meal at the table in our lunchroom. I often used to eat right across from Mr. Apartian, and I miss him there. I will always miss him, but I will look forward to seeing him. Mr. Sedliatic was not a teenager. Mr. Richard Sedliatic was 76 years old, so he lived six years beyond the three score and ten and served and helped write the old correspondence course very, very much. So God does not keep us alive forever in the human flesh, but we're going to live in other exciting times that are very wonderful. And Mr. Ames referred you to this wonderful healing that just took place of this woman who had her actual head severed from her body. Internally, the skin was hanging on, but the neck was absolutely broken loose. And they said in the announcement, if you read the whole thing, that very, very few people ever live with anything. That's a miracle. That was a dramatic healing. And we've had several dramatic healings. Some of you remember the others. I didn't bring the other accounts, but we've had several recently. We're beginning to have more and more dramatic healings just in the last year or two. And I think one reason is because we've been preaching about it more and hopefully you've all been praying about it more that we will get more of these dramatic healings. So let's keep it up. And that is exciting. We're also living in traumatic times because these events that God has talked about and that we have talked about for so many decades are speeding up. I think some of you may have watched 60 Minutes last Sunday night. On the 60 Minutes, this very fine, high-powered NBC or CBS uh, big news program, the, one of the most highly watched programs in the world, they had this special section, Day of Reckoning. And they interviewed the governor of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger. They interviewed Chris Christie, the governor of New Jersey. And they interviewed, not the governor, but in this case, the controller, who was over the finances of the state of Illinois. Three of the biggest and most powerful states in the nation, as far as money is concerned. And they all said their, na their states are going broke. And then they had a reference to uh, my my niece, I guess I could call her. Her name is Meredith. I'm kidding. That's her first name, <laughs> Meredith Whitney. And she is a very top financial analyst that worked for 
one of these big firms, I guess, uh, Morgan Stanley or one of them. Now she has her own firm, but she's referred to in the Wall Street Journal and Barron's and Fort, Fort, Forbes and, and now on 60 Minutes. And she was showing how the fat's going to hit the fan very quickly here in this nation from the Bloomberg, you know, they're a big uh, news outfit. It says Whitney states, says states may need federal bailout in the next 12 months. Quote, the U.S. government will face pressure to bail out struggling states in the next 12 months, said Meredith Whitney, the banking analyst who correctly predicted Citigroup's dividend cut in 2008. While saying a bailout might not be politically viable, Whitney joined investor Warren Buffett. Most of you have heard of him. He's the second richest man in the world. And raising alarm bells about the potential for widespread defaults in the 2.8 trillion, trillion with a T, municipal bond market. She said state and local issuers have taken on too much debt and that the gap between public spending and revenue is unsustainable. And they talked about these states going broke and they've talked about this in this article as it goes on and others about the fact that within the next couple of years it's going to get really bad. In 12 months it's going to begin to hit. So I'm talking young people not about 5 or 10 years from now. We're talking about one year from now. Perhaps a year from next month. We're almost into January. Watch it. And then it's going to get worse from there on unless there are huge cuts taken. And if they cut the budgets of the states and the cities, then they're going to have to virtually close the hospitals. They're going to have to lay off half the police force, half the fire departments, half of everything. And pretty soon, as these articles bring out, you're going to have food riots. You're going to have job riots. You're going to have all kinds of riots in the streets. Have you seen riots in the streets? I hope all of you have on television has been showing the riots right where I've been so many times in Trafalgar Square right over in London. It's been showing riots in Rome, riots in Spain, riots in France, riots in Athens. These young people really get upset when you start taking away their benefits and they're all out rioting. We're going to have that here. And you young people can join the rioters or you young people can have fun and just let everything go by. But God Almighty has somehow brought you into the historical church of God at the end of an age before our nation goes down the tube. I'm not happy about that. If any of you wonder, I don't think you do, but you could ask some of my older friends that have known me for a number of years, and I've told you this. I ran away from home at age 14 to join the Marines, and that was my intention to join the Marines. And I wanted to do that. I voluntarily joined the ROTC and became a first lieutenant. When they didn't have an ROTC the next year at junior college, or two or three years after the ROTC, then I joined the Naval Reserve. And I wanted to be part of the military and fight for this country. I love this country. I used to have chills go up and down my spine when they play the Star Spangled Banner. So I love this country, but I love God more. And God loves this country. And God says he rebukes and chastens every son he loves. And if I turn aside and start going off because he loves me, he will cause all kinds of things to go wrong with me. And he will do the same with any one of you. And he will do the same with this country. He is rebuking and chastening and he's going to shake us to our foundations and help people to realize that there is a real God who is working out a purpose here below. And they'll quit reading all of this rubbish 
coming out from Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and all this crazy stuff about there is no God. These fools, educated fools who do not even recognize their creator are going to be shaken to their foundations in the next few years and come to realize that this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. Why? Because our people have turned away from God. The vice president of the United States was the other day virtually bragging about the fact, well, we're getting more people on our side now so we can have same-sex marriage all across the country. Sounded so happy. The men can all kiss and hug each other and we'll have same-sex marriage all across the country. Isn't that wonderful? That is not wonderful. And these perverts have tried to line themselves up with our black brethren and say, well, it's just like giving the black people their rights. If I were a black brother, and I've talked to some of you, not many, but over the years, and they don't like that either. That's damnable. You cannot help whether you're born black or white or male or female, but you sure can help whether or not you become a sex pervert, as these people are. And if you believe the Bible, you know that's what they are. That's not normal. They got in charge of the media and began to try to spread this propaganda that they are born that way. They are not born that way. Please, you young people, look into it. There's no way they're born that way. And God is going to deal with our nation more and more if we let these perverts take over and if we let the liberals take over who say it's just fine for all our young people to live together, you know, uh, and have sex relations and, and live around without the benefit of marriage. And they have more and more fornication, more and more adultery, and more and more drugs, and more and more drink, and the whole nation starts right down the tube. A young, hungry nation, or a group of nations, coming together in Europe right now, will come over and conquer us eventually. It looked like this is going to be China's century. It's not going to be China's century. It's going to be Europe's century in a few years as they get together. You will see that. There are all kinds of riots and problems out in the hinterlands of China. I don't know what will pull them back from the brink, but they will not be taking over. They'll have these problems, and suddenly we'll see a resurgent Europe come up. They will be the dominant power. Will it be the century of Europe? No. It will be the century of Jesus Christ. <laughs> because after five or ten years of this European power, then Christ will come in, and you young people who believe the truth and are willing to act on the truth and all of us, at that time we will be what? We will be winners. We will be in charge under Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. So let's understand that and I hope that all of us can realize that these things that we've talked about are beginning to speed up. I won't read these other clippings but I have another one here on how they now know that Iran has enough power to destroy Israel and some of the Iranian weapons have been placed nearby and the Middle East war could break out any day, any day. Another clipping here is about the uh, Catholic Pope and how he is lamenting, of course, the terrible situation in the world and uh, how the... Uh, uh, how he says it, it's, it's, it's like the end of the world. And he's saying some of the th things we do. He's very upset realizing that, the, that, that we are in terrible trouble. So the Catholic Pope is almost sounding like us when he talks about how bad society is getting. He does not understand the answer, though we do. 
But, brethren, let's get to the Bible. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. And here is the basic prophecy of Jesus Christ. What does Jesus Christ say about all of this? Back in Matthew chapter 24, if you would turn there, you'll see how Christ was asked on the Mount of Olives, When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming? And not the end of the earth, not the physical earth, but the end of this age. The Greek word is eon, or the age. This 6,000 year period that God is giving us under Satan's influence. And so he answered, Take heed that no one deceives you. And he begins to describe false prophets and that they would deceive many. He never said they'd deceive a few. They would deceive the many. Read it right here in verse 4 and verse 5. Then he says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. And the Greek word is ethnos, meaning different small wars and ethnic wars like the Catholics and Protestants fighting each other in Ireland and these ethnic wars of different tribal groups in Africa fighting each other. And all over the world we're having more of that. And then he says kingdom, a different Greek word, meaning major wars and world wars. Those are going to increase. And then he says there will be famine. Yes, brethren, there will be a lack of food. And we better really understand that lack of food is not always going to be over in India or Bangladesh or somewhere like that. It's going to be right here, right here, probably within the next five or ten years. And you better watch for it and understand it can happen more quickly than you realize. Pestilence, disease epidemics are going to come. And they will overwhelm the hospitals and doctors. Most doctors... And nurses and people that work in hospitals are very sincere. They will often make mistakes and there's a huge number of people killed by wrong prescription of drugs. We know that. But they're trying. Most of them are sincere. But the thing you need to realize is not just be down on doctors. There's certain things they can do. But you'd better put your faith and trust in God because in the next several years, as the pestilences begin to come on full bore, The doctors and hospitals will be overwhelmed. They will not even begin to be able to handle the people that come in. And then you will have to decide, is God the healer? Can you trust the God of the Bible to heal you? And we as a church are emphasizing that more than any other church of God group that I know of. We've got to believe that God means what he says and says what he means. His name is Yahweh Rafika, the healing God. And Jesus told his disciples, go out and do what? Read it in Matthew 10. Read it in Luke chapter 10. He gave them three things to do. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. Over and over he told them to do those three things. Preach the gospel, number one. Heal the sick, number two. Cast out demons, unclean spirits. So let's understand that. We've got to have faith in God during the years ahead. It's going to be very important that we can have God's protection. So as we then should carry on this work, there are going to be disease epidemics and earthquakes, it says then. And in Luke's account, Luke 21, he says great earthquakes, huge earthquakes beyond what they've had. And that's going to start happening. Then he describes how God's true church, God's people will be delivered up to tribulation. And they will betray one another and hate one another. Is that going to happen to us? God's church is all confused and scattered in these other groups. 
Don't let it happen here. Let's stay on our knees. Let's see the big picture. Let's see where Christ is working and try to humble ourselves, learn from our experiences, learn every lesson that God wants us to learn. And then he says in verse 14, and this gospel, the kingdom, the coming government of God, kingdom means government. It will be preached to all the world or in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. We are doing that with all of our hearts and God is opening up more doors. That's another thing to watch. As we increase in power, brethren, you're going to see you're that much closer to the end as you see the world going down the tube, let's say American Britain, as we have more homosexuals getting in power, as we have more and more of these laws making same-sex marriage okay, as more and more of those things happen. That's sad, but it means we're that much closer to Christ's coming. That much closer. It gets darkest just before the dawn. And I hope you young people realize that. It doesn't mean that we're wrong when these things get worse. We've said they're going to get worse. Then God intervenes when it gets really bad. You know, he let Israel not go into Egypt and the Israelites into the promised land until the sins of the Gentiles were come to the full, it says. He let them get really awful. Then he finally let the Israelites come in and utterly destroy all these people because they were so rotten and so pagan by that time. And that's the way God works. So we do want to watch these events we have an awesome responsibility to preach this gospel of the kingdom with all our hearts to the world, to help people know, to help our American people out here know what's ahead and say, wake up, America, your house is on fire and help them understand that God is beginning to intervene and every one of us can have part in that. We want to see that growing. And brethren, one other key thing along the way, since I'm in this part of the Bible, I'll come back to it later, but in verse 15, the very next verse, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophets standing in the holy place, then it's time to flee to the mountains. There's going to be a time when there will be a temple or at least an altar in Jerusalem and there will be sacrifices on that altar. When you see that happening and you see a pagan god or statue put in that kind of, 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 of situation, a quickie temple... They build them real quick. The Israelis don't mess around. They do things really fast. So we don't know what it'll be, but what it'll be like a temple or an altar, and there will be a horrible pagan statue put right there. That's a key thing to watch. When that happens, the next event of any consequence will be the beginning of the Great Tribulation full scale. So you do need to realize we're living, as I said, in very, very exciting and meaningful times. Now, let's turn, if you would, at this point to Daniel. Uh, let's, no, I'm sorry. I want to turn at this point to Ezekiel chapter 7. Ezekiel chapter 7. These things are speeding up. And again, it seems so slow. And some of you people think, when's it ever going to happen? As the Bible says, people will say, my Lord delays his coming. Well, brethren, I was baptized 61 years ago this month. And I've had to watch this for 61 years. When's it going to come? When's it going to come? When's it going to come? But I see that big events are getting ready and the whole pattern of the world is getting ready for it to come more than has ever happened. And I've not given up. And many of us older ones have not given up. 
And I hope you younger people will not give up. The, the, the things are getting very close. Notice what God says, and he's talking about this very thing back in Ezekiel chapter 7. Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 23. Make a chain through the land, and through this whole passage, as you look back over the earlier verses, he's talking about the house of Israel. The house of Israel, which is us at the time of the end. The land is filled with bloody crimes. You better believe it. We're filled with crime and violence. And the city is full of violence. Therefore, I will bring the worst of the Gentiles. He sometimes calls the Assyrians the worst of the Gentiles because they are so efficient at killing people and putting them in gas ovens and things as they did in the Second World War. And they shall possess their houses. I will cause the pomp of the strong to cease and their holy places shall be defiled. Destruction comes. They will seek peace, but there shall be none. Notice. Notice verse 26 now. Disaster will come upon disaster. Just one thing piling on another. What happened back in the 1989-1990 winter? Remember how the different nations broke free from the Soviet Union? Poland broke free. Czechoslovakia broke free. Hungary broke free. Romania broke Just one after the other. And finally the Berlin Wall came down. Mr. Armstrong prophesied that years ahead of time specifically. And a lot of you know that. He was the only one. Why? Because he was a continuation of the true church of God. Billy Graham talks about Christ coming someday somehow. But if you read his columns, I have it. He's had it published a couple times in writing. And I heard him say it three times. Christ may come tonight, my friends. Or on the other hand, he may come a thousand years from tonight. Oh, well, that's quite a stretch. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that gives you quite a bit of leeway. Yes, he's going to come, but they don't understand Christ, and they don't understand his message, and they don't understand prophecy. We're not smarter. We're simply willing to obey God. And again, any of you who are newer, you young people, please, if you haven't done it, look up this scripture, Psalm 111. Turn now, Psalm 111, verse 10. A good understanding have they who do his commandments. God gives understanding to those who obey him. And not just in general, but obey his commandments. That's why we have that understanding. But disaster is coming on disaster, rumor upon rumor. Quickly, it's going to pile up. And then they will seek a vision from a prophet or a preacher. They'll say, what's going on? What does God say? But what will happen? But the law will perish from the priest and counsel from the elders. God will cut them off and those false ministers wouldn't know anyway. And the king will mourn and the prince will be clothed with desolation and the hands of the common people will tremble. I will do to them according to their way. If their way is to practice homosexuality, God will do to them according to their way. If their way is to fry their brain with these drugs, and ruin the main thing that separates us from the dumb animal by taking heavy drugs and, and, and drinking too much and all the rest of it, God will do with them according to their way. And according to what they deserve, I will give them. Therefore, they then, he says, they shall know that I am. They shall know. They won't just wonder. Finally, they will know that I am the Yahweh, the ever-living one. They will know the true God. Finally. But God will have to shake them to the depths of their being before they finally will wake up and not just 
hear the lesson, but actually learn the lesson. So let's understand this. Understand also, brethren, and you young people, a lot of you have read, and Mr. Smith had this very fine 2012, The Mystery and so forth, the DVD that we're sending out, and he did an excellent job on that. But we show how that's wrong, and, and I agree with everything Mr. Smith said, it is wrong. But I want to also say one other thing, which does not disagree, but help you understand. There are spirit beings, and there is a spirit world inhabited by demons and, and arch demons like Satan the devil. Often these demons understand certain physical things, and God lets them know and the demons and the New Agers and the Aquarians and lots of them are right now beginning to line up and say something big is going to happen in 2012. Do we say they're all wet? No. No. But Christ is not coming in 2012. I'll tell you that on the authority of the Bible because all these other things have to happen first. He will not come in 2012. How dare I say that? Because the Bible shows there's going to be a three and a half year tribulation and that's, that puts us way beyond 2012, if you see what I mean. But they sense something big is going to happen. So when you put that together with Meredith, Meredith Whitney's prognostications here as a financial analyst and all these other people call, talking about financial crashes, food shortages, job shortages, the nation coming down, riots, yes, 2012 may be the beginning. As Churchill said about the problems just before the second world, he said, this is not the end. And it may not even be the beginning of the end, but it may be the end of the beginning. Get an interesting way of putting things. So 2012 may be the end of the beginning. And then the really big things will start happening one right after the other. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I pretty well suspect we will see some big action because Meredith Whitney says it's going to, the action is going to start our cities and states going broke even next year, which is 2011. But you get on into 2012 and, and there's going to be some really big stuff happening. So you're going to live in very exciting times and only the church of God understands the meaning of it. Turn now, if you would, to Daniel. Turn to the book of Daniel chapter 9. Most of you know this section here about Daniel crying out to God for understanding. And an angel comes and says in verse 23, At the beginning of your supplications, the commandment went out, and I've come to give you understanding. And then he gives what we call the 70 weeks prophecy, showing how Christ was to come 70 weeks, or actually 69 weeks, plus the later week added on, 483 years or 69 prophetic weeks from the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, which was given, the primary command was given in 457 B.C. And you count forward from that and you will find it adds up to 69 times 7 or 483 years exactly. And there shall be 7 weeks and 62 weeks. So after seven weeks, the temple was built and then 62 weeks until other things and the street shall be built again in the wall. And after 62 weeks, then he says, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Christ then was predicted to die, not for his sins, but for others. 
But right between this first phrase in chapter 9, verse 26, there is a break in there. Remember, brethren, and that's that's not my opinion, every scholar agrees on this part, men divided these verses, these Bible passages into verses. In the original Hebrew, you didn't have verse 1, 2, 3, or whatever. It was just long scroll. The scroll of Isaiah or the scroll of Matthew in the New Testament. I've seen some of those old scrolls. They just go on and on. Later, men, early Catholic scholars and later Protestant scholars, put together the verses and so on. So the story really picks up with a different thought in the second half of verse 26. And the people of the prince who is to come. He's already talked about Christ's death for our sins, but then he says he gets to another subject, and the people of the prince who is to come. Who was the prince to come? The prince to come back at that time was Titus, who came in and destroyed Jerusalem. But he was only a type, and nearly all prophetic students understand that, of the final Roman prince, the final one that God calls the beast, the beast of Revelation, the prince who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So Christ was not going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. He allowed this human general to do it in Roman times, and he's going to allow another person to do similar things. And the end of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined, and then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. The Hebrew means cut a covenant. They would use that expression, but it was a kind of a treaty. Some scholars know it could mean a treaty or a covenant. This coming uh, dictator over what we know will be the Roman, the revived Roman Empire, will cut a covenant, will make some kind of unusual treaty with whom? The indication as you go on here with the other things talking about it, he will allow the Jews to offer sacrifices on the Temple Mount for certain considerations where they will cooperate in other ways. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. He stops the sacrifices. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consolation, consummation which is poured out on the desolator The desolator, this coming beast, is going to be crushed by Jesus Christ when he comes back. Now notice chapter 11 now, if you would. Daniel 11, and picking up in verse 31, Mr. Herbert Armstrong, and frankly many other prophets. I wish we we had time sometime if we used to have every, every Friday night Bible studies and go through these things in great detail where we could lay it out more thoroughly. But other things were happening. Suddenly in verse 31, you do come to the time of the end. Daniel 11, verse 31. And forces shall be mustered by him. And again, this is talking, as you see the context, about this coming beast power. And they shall destroy the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. So they take away the daily sacrifices. The daily sacrifices have been allowed to start by someone, apparently by this treaty that is made in Daniel 9. But this coming, this dictator does away with this. He turns his back on his uh, treaty, as Hitler and his people always have done. Hitler 
And the German Reich had this agreement with the Russians just before the Second World War, a non-aggression pact. But they came right over attacking the Russian cities without warning. Any warning whatsoever started to blast them. They just throw their treaties in the ash can. That's why in spite of all her good intentions, Hillary and Harry Reid and all the bad guys in Washington, are they going to solve those problems? They can have all the little pieces of paper from North Korea or Iran they want to. It won't make any difference. These Gentile powers are not interested in pieces of paper. These Gentile dictators are interested in one thing. You've heard me say it before. What are most people, carnal, especially men, interested in? If you really have to get their attention. One thing, overwhelming force. That they will listen to. Overwhelming force. And that's what God is going to give them at the time of the end. When you read about the the trumpet plagues and the seven last plagues, what do you have? Wow, he shakes them with overwhelming force. So he's going to throw this treaty in the ash can and stop them from, from offering there and place there in this temple the abomination of desolation. And historically, Antiochus Epiphanes, about 330 years before Christ, had the same thing. He put up the statue of Jupiter Lemus, Olympus, or some other god. The historians disagree on which it was, but put a statue of a pagan god in there, and so on. The final one will do something very similar. Stop the sacrifices. And those who do wicked against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery, this coming beast. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Brethren, is this 50 or 100 years later? No! This is probably going to be another 5 to 15 years down the line. And some of us and some of you younger people sitting here right now may be involved. If you're young men by then and along with Rod McNair and Scott Winnell and our other young ministers begin to serve and build and so on, it can be very exciting as you see these things happening. And we warn the world. You warn your fellow man before it all begins to strike. It's not all boring. I've told you some of these stories. I better not get so off on stories. I'll keep you over. But I'll tell you one again. I've had some very, very exciting times. I used to have rock fights and growing up as a kid and boxing and all that. But I've had some exciting times in the ministry. It's not all boring. I remember Ted Armstrong and I were on the baptizing tour for three and a half weeks together in East Texas and Louisiana. And we came to this this kind of a real hillbilly hick who had his overhauls and straps and no no T-shirt and hairy chest. And, and we came up the steps of his kind of a shanty. And uh, he says, who are you boys? He said, we're from Ambassador College. That's the term we use. We're from Ambassador College. He yelled at us, Armstrong! And he began to hit us and he began to then grab the chair and crank down on us. Very exciting, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so he, he did. And so Ted and I wrestled the chair away and, and he was, he was not old. He was maybe 40, 45, but he was not in real good condition. He was a little bigger than we were, but he was not in good shape. And we were in good shape. We were just 24 years old at the time, each of us. But anyway, uh, he said, I'm going to go get the gun. Well, rather than running, now maybe we would run today, I don't know, but we had this youthful enthusiasm and we just prayed. We just bowed our heads and we prayed to ask God to protect us. And he came back out through that bore. He was mad, but there was no gun. He had another chair. We thought, boy, 
what a wonderful thing, just another chair. <laughs> we'll, grab, we'll grab that chair too. And then he wrestled us and we wrestled it down on the ground and in, in the dirt in front of the uh, house there. And he was kicking and yelling and cussing. He had a wonderful vocabulary, believe me. <laughs> he called me more names than almost anyone ever did. And on and on. So you can have some very exciting times. Burke McNair had guns pointed at on the tours and other things happen like that through the years. And God will cause those things to happen and you will have to have your faith and trust that God is real, that God is alive, and that God will take care of you. It's not all boring. Believe me, it's not going to be boring. We're going to give a witness to our nation, to this world of what's happening and what it means. And we are a continuation of the living church of God, the real church of God, that does the work of God. And we are winners. And you young people will be winners and your life will count for something if you'll get involved before the end of this age and all this stuff around you won't be here anymore. Your television stations, all your computer games and all the stuff you're into, it will not exist. But the kingdom of God will exist and you'll have an opportunity to help people by the millions. So as you act on the truth, God will use you mightily. You young people and all of us, to the degree we give our lives to God, God's work can be very exciting. So we have the great tribulation coming and right after the great tribulation, then what? Let's turn back to Daniel again, if you would. No, we're at Daniel already, I guess. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Daniel 12, verse 1. At, the, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble. This is the great tribulation. Such as was never was since there was a nation even to that time. At that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone who's found written in the book and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting shame because they have not acted on the truth. They had the precious pearl of great price and they treated it cheaply. They treated it cheaply. They were not willing to risk their lives for the God of creation. And so they're in trouble. But many of those who sleep in the dust shall wake. Some to everlasting life. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise. God grant that you are wise. Shall turn many to righteousness. And shall shine like the stars forever. That's what God is going to cause you to do, to shine like the stars as full members of the family of God uh, forever. Because you're called to be in the very family of God and to rule this world along with Jesus Christ and bring peace and joy and prosperity and happiness of all sort in a way the world has never experienced. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, even in the Apostle Paul's writings, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things pertaining to this life? God wants us to learn to judge. And God wants you young people to realize you're called to be judges. You're called to be kings and priests and rulers. And that is a tremendous calling, a tremendous opportunity that's coming just ahead. Notice back in Revelation now. Revelation chapter 2, very basic scripture here, verse 26. Jesus is speaking in the first person. 
He who overcomes. Who are the overcomers? The ones who really obey God and let Christ live his life in them. They, my friends, are the winners. We who are overcomers are the winners. Throughout all eternity, we will be the winners. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. That's our job, to help rule this world and bring peace to this world under Jesus Christ. Over in chapter 5, Revelation 5, he describes the song of the saints. Here in verse 9, they sang the song of the saints saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, talking of Christ, to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Christ shed blood out of every people or tribe, people, tongue, and nation, and have made us kings and priests. Or some of them translated a kingdom of priests. We're going to be teaching the truth, but we're going to be ruling as well. A kingdom of priests to our God. Where are we going to be? Up in heaven with nothing to do? No. We shall reign on the earth. And God says that over and over. That's our calling. You young people are not going to go off to heaven with nothing to do, but you'll be here and you'll be a judge over or a king over a small city or a small nation or maybe a big city or a big nation helping guide that people under Jesus Christ's overall leadership. But under Christ will be the 12 apostles over Israel and under them will be some of us, perhaps, and we all work together. It's from the top down through Jesus Christ and we've got to learn that form of government, respect it, Not that we wait till we're all perfect, but know that Christ has always used imperfect people, but he's developing us to learn how to govern. He's developing us to learn how to rule, and all of us need to interact in the church in that way, to have faith in Christ's leadership. Have faith in Christ's leadership, because he is the leader. He says that over and over, and know that in the end, he's in charge. Back in Isaiah now, the book of Isaiah, if you turn to chapter 61... Isaiah chapter 61, and this gives us a little bit more about what we're going to be doing. Here, Isaiah writes, the Spirit of the Lord, God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. As you'll see, this passage up to this point is quoted in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Christ did come to do that, but it stops right there. Why? Why did Luke stop right there? Because he was not preaching at the end of the age, but we are. This passage goes right on after proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord when Christ comes back and the day of vengeance of our God. Because the tribulation has to come first to comfort all who are mourn, people who've had to go through the tribulation, and to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes and so on. And verse 4, they shall rebuild the old ruins. Some of you young people may assist in rebuilding the whole nation here and other parts of the world. The desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. God is going to cause those who serve him to be the top peoples of the earth. But you shall be named priests of God. Men shall call you servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. 
And God is going to cause some of you young people, some of our, maybe my grandchildren, great-grandchildren, who are not even spirit beings yet, to be leaders of cities and nations, and the Gentile people who've oppressed them will come and bring them riches from all over the world. And in their glory you shall boast. Instead of shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. God's going to reward them. The carnal people there will have gone through the great tribulation. But now under the leadership of God's true people, they will be blessed. And God will give them double honor. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. God wants us to bring joy God wants us to bring peace to these people. Hundreds of thousands, probably millions will come back, as Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 16 and elsewhere, weeping, weeping and crying out, forgive us, Father, forgive us, as they come back from the captivity to Israel. And we'll have to help them. We'll have to comfort them. We'll have to heal them physically, supernatural healings. We'll have to put our arms around them, literally, as spirit beings, we can still appear physically and help them and encourage them and say, it's okay. It's okay. We're here to help you. And we really mean it. And take, take the, teach these people a way of life that will live throughout, on through all eternity based on God's laws, based on loving the true God and being willing to do what God says, loving him and loving fellow man and all the fellow members of the kingdom of God. So we want to have that attitude and we want to learn these things now, brethren. This is our opportunity now. Turn back to Psalm 33, if you would. Psalm 33. And I'm going to begin reading here in verse 10. The ever-living one brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. Are all our great ambassadors going to bring peace? No. God brings their counsel to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the eternal stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the ever-living one. And the people whom he has chosen as his inheritance. Notice, brethren, and think about it. You young people, let God become real to you. Jesus said, as you know back in Matthew 10, Every hair of our head is numbered. God literally knows all about you. Every single hair of your head is numbered. He says even a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without God knowing about it. Our God is greater than all the big computers all put together. How did those computers get there? Those computers got there because they were manufactured by little puny men with little puny bird brains compared to God's brain, you know. And when his brain comes along, you know, when you think about it that way, it's awesome. And God can know all these things. He does not make us obey him, though. He does give us free moral agents, but he watches over us. He knows anytime something's going to happen, he can take care of us. He can guide us. He can teach us. He can fashion and mold us, which he does, to become his full sons and be fit to live forever. So he looks down from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. He literally does do it. Sees us from the place of his habitation. He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. What is he doing? 
He's fashioning your mind and heart. He's fashioning my mind and heart so we can live forever in his kingdom and his family and be part of the eternal family of God to rule this universe. He's testing us. He's teaching us. He wants us to learn every lesson. He wants you to learn every lesson. He wants me to learn every lesson. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. So brethren, let's understand that and let's really respond to God in every way we can. Let me just say this as you get on toward uh, verse 8 here. Oh, taste. I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I'm jumping over to another place here. Uh, he says in verse 20, verse 20, our soul waits for the eternal. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him. Why? Because we have trusted. Let's learn to believe God. He's alive. He's moving. These big events that are happening right down the line. I've recited them before. I'm not going to go over that again. They're not tiny events. And I hope you young people have heard me say them before. The major events have been happening right on schedule, on God's schedule. He's alive. These are not little tiny things done off in a corner somewhere. They're affecting the major nations. But our hearts shall rejoice because we have trusted in His holy name. Let your mercy, O Eternal, be upon us just as we hope in you. So let's be sure we trust in God's holy name, brethren, and I hope that we can. God is teaching you, and God is teaching me, and God is teaching every one of us to be winners. In the end, we win. If we follow God, if we walk with God, obey God's word, feed on Christ, let Christ live within us and become full members of the family of God and part of that family wherein the spirits of just men are made perfect and have God's character and a spirit body and live forever in the family of God. We are winners. So the church of God goes forward on its knees. Let us go forward on our knees and finish the work and become fashioned and molded by our Father in heaven so we can achieve the purpose, the great purpose for which God created us, the purpose for which he's called us, and the purpose for which he has blessed us.